Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dirty Drinks today. This is our 14th episode. How are you today, Rick? I can't believe we've already made it up to 14. I'm doing great. Very happy it's Friday. It's been a week this uh, week for sure. I, I think it was a it was a long week on Tuesday. Yeah, I think you're right. I got jabbed today, so um, I'm all boosted up and I don't have any side effects yet, but I'm probably going to be hurting tomorrow. Did, did you get both flu and COVID? I did. I got one in each arm. Nice, nice. Yeah, I got my flu last week and then my COVID a couple of days ago. And it wasn't as bad as the first or second shot for some reason. I don't know if it's my senescent uh, immune system or what exactly, but the third one was, it was, I mean, I was achy, felt a little, I could tell I, some, I had something, but it was not nearly as bad as the first two. And I was expecting the worst. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're feeling better. Yeah, so there's hope for you that your whole weekend will not be lost, uh, protecting yourself from getting any of these horrible illnesses. I, I just have to make it through teaching CPR tomorrow morning, and then I'll be golden. As long as you can count to 15, you're fine. Okay, I think I can handle that. You can practice. <laughs> if, you, if we can go through it, if you would like. I may have to practice offline because I am super stoked for our special guest today. That, yes, so am I. This is, it's going to be a, a good time. I'm, I'm glad, I hope everybody enjoys it as much as we are going to. Absolutely. So today we have on Dr. Hardeep Chihal. She is an oral pathologist at Creighton University School of Dentistry. Thank you for joining us today, Hardeep. Thank you for having me. Thanks, both of you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I, the listeners know that I have a dental background, so I kind of know what you do, but can you explain um, exactly what an oral pathologist is and what you do? Yes, so uh, this is one of the specialities of dentistry. So after doing four years of DDS, then you decide whether you want to go into some other speciality or you want to be an oral pathologist. So basically what an oral pathologist do uh, does is more than dealing with the teeth, we deal with bones and soft tissue. So if any pathology, be it benign, be it malignant or just, just reactive, that's what we look for, that's what we treat, and that's what we try to prevent so that it just doesn't happen before we have to start treating it. So it's a little, a little different from dentistry per se. It is kind of everything to do with the maxillofacial region, everything above the clavicle, but it's not teeth as such. So the last time I've actually filled and drilled a tooth would be in 2015. So that's how it goes. How did they come up with the name pathologist? Because I'm a medical provider, right? So I think of a pathologist as somebody who does autopsies or looks at tissue underneath the microscope and tells me what's going on that I can't figure out. It's like, if I can't figure something out, I tell somebody, take a chunk of it and send it to the pathologist and see if they can tell us. But obviously your role is different. It's really not very different, Rick. So it's a pathologist role, but it's oral pathology. It's going to be pathology related to the mouth and the oropharynx. 
So we look at things clinically and then we biopsy it and look at it under the microscopes too. But the only thing is uh, I teach general path to the dental students in D2. Uh, and so I do talk about the body and things related to the body, but we are mostly concerned with things above the clavicle. So be it the skin, the bones. So we do do clinical work. We do oral medicine, though now that's become a speciality, but I do see oral medicine patients and I do the pathology part of it too. That's pretty so, cool. I'm hoping to avoid seeing a medical pathologist for at least a while because I don't want to be that that person. <laughs> pathologist, Rick, you know, we, uh, we, I mean, people really don't die from oral pathology, but the quality of life kind of dips down quite a bit. So yeah. I, I never see an oral pathologist too. So yeah, that's how it goes. So uh, would it be correct to say that oral pathology is kind of like the ID physician of the dental world? Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's to put it in a nutshell, you nailed it. Awesome, that's great. Now, here's the next question is gonna be, how did I think of becoming an oral pathologist, right? It is, yes, you read my mind. So, um, you know, well, I really like dentistry and I had done my dentistry in India, but then I migrated to the United States of America in 1996 with my ex-husband and I went into banking. Well, he went into doing dentistry again and I loved banking and, you know, it's much easier than, you know, a science job. You know, I think we have more responsive, not that bankers don't, but I, I, you know, I found it, you know, really interesting. And I used to love meeting people and talking to them. Whereas in dentistry, you can't get to talk to people. They just open their mouth and you're working on them. And I love to chit chat with people. So I was very happy in banking and I continued to do that for nine years. And then of course, life throws you curveballs and I was left alone. Now, nine years out of dentistry, what the hell am I going to do? Either go back to medical school or do something related to non-dentistry in the dental field. And so I stumbled into oral pathology by chance. The first year was horrible, but in of my residency, and then I fell in love with it and, and I've never looked back ever since. So that's how, how my whole thing came from being a banker, transient to getting back into my own field. So it's been quite a journey. Uh, dentistry, was that something that uh, growing up you knew you wanted to do or family or, or how did you end up in dentistry? I think a lot of people think I'm going to go to medical school or physical therapy or something. And, but a lot of people that seem like they go into dentistry have, you know, kind of know it from early that it's something they want to do, it seems like. Well, there's, this is another story now, an offshoot. I don't know if you have any Indian friends, Rick, but people who are my age and who have parents in the 80s, all we could think of in India was being a dentist, a doctor, a lawyer, or a nurse, because those were the professions which were considered very prestigious. I wanted to get into journalism. Again, talking to people, observing people. I can sit in an airport for hours just looking at people. And so my mother would always say, you know, you don't earn much as a journalist, so you please become a science teacher, if nothing else. And so, of course, when I became a science graduate and then I did well and my mother was like you can do it why don't you just try this examination sentence exam and of course I got through into dentistry and then there was no looking back so basically I stumbled into dentistry I'm from a army background family I'm an army brat kid but because of parental pressure and how it is in India and I grew up in India 
so that's how i stumbled into this field you know basically to please my parents but i think that's the best thing that happened to me because i'm in heaven right now yeah outstanding that's terrific so you did your dentistry schooling and training i don't know how exactly it works you're going to have to kind of explain what you guys do you know because we're used to medical school and then you do an internship residency and then we did a fellowship so i assume you guys have something similar to that uh, for dentistry as well yes so rick i did my dentistry in india four years and but it's the british system so i had bachelor of dental surgery and then with that unlike you mbbs guys we can practice dentistry right so i did that for about 7 years in india and then we migrated to the us and so once i came to the us and after that fiasco that happened in my personal life uh, i wanted to get back into my own profession so i did i went the back route so i got into a residency after doing your national dental part 1 and part 2 examination you get eligible for a residency so i went to university of florida i did 3 years of oral path residency i got boarded i got a job at creighton in 2009 that's when i came to creighton and then in 2015 i did my dds from creighton i did 4 years so i first did my residency got boarded in a specialty and then back, went back and did my dentistry for the second time so in the us we do it after graduating in a college in india we do it after your 12th grade oh wow it's a, yes it's a four year process in both countries uh-huh. but we save three years of education in india whereas in the us you have to do your undergrad before you get into a dental school interesting so as an international medical graduate would did you have to do any of the stuff in the us before you could practice here absolutely you have to take your national dental boards part 1 part 2 and then either apply to a dental school and you have instead of doing 4 years as a foreign graduate you can do it in 3 years or you go via the residency route so many people from foreign countries do radiology pathology or some other residency and then they if they want to do dds they kind of can do it but as a resident you can practice if you have your american boards so interesting How many places in the US have oral uh, pathology as a fellowship? As a residency we have a residency, about, sorry. Yeah, at least 13 places where we have residency programs. 13? 13, yep. Is it super competitive to get into? It is, but not as much as other other specialties because as an oral pathologist you either have to have a full-fledged path lab or you work in a school and the jobs are not as readily available as you have in other specialties so it, it can be very competitive in the job market you know so so that's why even getting into an oral path residency they kind of narrow it down because they know that you know as a pathologist you can sit in front of the microscope till you're 80 you don't really have to tax your body as as dentists do so people don't really retire that early you know they just like to and they get then you get hooked you know you you love what you do you want to kind of die doing it mhm huh? what can i say i think we have kind of a recurring theme on the podcast you know it's it's a labor of love and it's one of those positions that you um that is kind of in the background and people rely on you but you don't get a lot of press yeah and and you know that's perfectly fine sarah because at the end of the day 
when you get into this field of being a doctor or a physician or an oral pathologist or a dentist, our main aim is the patient. And if the patient is doing well and the patient can, you know, be happy about it, you know, that to me is the most important thing. So I like to observe people, talk to people, but I don't like to be in the limelight. So it's a perfect story in my case. It's absolutely lovely. So how often does your paths cross with like ENT doctors? It sounds like you guys are both kind of above the clavicle kind of providers yeah. clinically, but you do also do the microscope stuff that an ENT doctor wouldn't necessarily do. They would just get the biopsy and send it somewhere. So a lot because uh, we do everything about the clavicle and there are some things which are like in the neck realm and we kind of feel that this is what it could be, but we want to get another specialist uh, involved. And of course, with oral surgeons and ENT specialists, it's totally a like a hand in hand relationship. You know, uh, we really rely on each other a lot. Like I get a lot of ENT people sending me stuff that they see, you know, like in the oropharynx at the back of the throat. And if I see something like in the neck and I'm not very sure, or even neurosurgeons. In fact, the other day I went to UNMC and I talked to the neuroradiologist, you know, trying to figure out things in a patient that I saw clinically and under a slide. So it's, we're all interconnected. It's not that one part of the body's not connected to the rest of it. So we all go hand in hand, you know, tumor boards, cancer boards, oral surgeons, oral pathologists, neurologists, because a lot of pain stuff is happening in your face. So we all, uh, we all have to work as a team. And that's what makes it like, you know, I don't know if you like, uh, you know, investigative stuff. So that's how, you know, you feel a little more important that you're investigating and trying to figure things out. So, so figuring out things and mysteries and everything else is, is definitely right up our alley. And then, and Sarah figures out mysteries of the paranormal. So we're kind of all <laughs> do some kind of mystery uh, searching yeah. and, and whatnot. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. So do you have a cool bag that has all kinds of like scope things and biopsy things and everything else that you have with you? Absolutely, all the time, you know, and it's very fascinating. In fact, I don't really have a biopsy service at, at Creighton because I'm the only pathologist here, but I go a lot to UNMC and I go over to Creighton, the path part, and then, you know, we look at cases all the time together. So yes, without it, I mean, I can get an... Like you, every 10 years, we have to recertify our boards. So if, if you don't, don't have the paraphernalia right there reminding you every day to look at things, you know, <laughs> you can really get lost in the, in the smaller stuff. Oh, look at that kitty cat, Sarah. <laughs> She's always rude. She gets in the camera. She wants I to got, be part of the podcast for sure. Yeah, I got a new fish the other day. So she was like checking him out. I have two cats, so, you know, they're always welcome in my world. Yeah, my story is very simple, straightforward, and I would encourage anybody, you know, who's interested in investigative work. We need more people in this field and people who really like what they do. For me, that's important. You know, it's it's not just about the money. It's, it's far more than that. And, and so I don't do any private practice. I just am at Creighton and, and I and they Creighton's a great place to be at. I'm sorry, Rick. I mean, you know, <laughs> UNMC is wonderful too, but hey, what can I say? <laughs> it, it's all good. It's all good. We're all, uh, good. We're all friends. Yeah, we're, um, we're glad to talk to people outside of UNMC, actually. So you're probably the third person outside of 
UNMC community that we're speaking with. So that's that's awesome. It's great to get different uh, different views and different perspectives and, and uh, where people come from. So one of the things that we do is, you know, we're involved in infection prevention. And so that's what Sarah basically does, right? She's an infection prevent infection preventist, um, preventionist. I can't even say, I can't speak today. It's probably my COVID shot from a couple of days ago. I'm just kidding. It's not from my COVID shot. Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> you know what's coming, right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so it's it, it's definitely great. So um, do you, as part of your training then and everything else, in, is infection prevention something that you take keep in mind when you are looking at people or patients, programs, anything that you do? So Rick, pathology starts from infections, right? Many, many, many times. It's, it's one of the pieces of our, so reactive, infectious, and cancer, you know, neoplasia. So yes, that's one of my top ones. So if I see anything in the mouth, my first thought is whether it's reactive. The second, common things happen commonly. So yes, I always tell my students that, you know, infection control, prevention is the number one thing. And that prevents the things to come to my stage. You know, so of course, I think everything stems from what you guys do. So absolutely, you know, your uh, field, in fact, is cancers are not that common, you know. So it's first reactive things and then you guys come in number two. So that's that's a very important part of what I do. And that's so what I keep. Uh -huh. Do you have um, like a percentage of things that could be prevented that you see? Yeah, so common things happen commonly. That's what I, and then I always tell my students that lesions don't read books, you know, that's a very, another thing I always keep telling them, yes. So if I have to say, if I see hundred things in a, in a month, so 60 or 70 are reactive. And then the next majority comes from infections. In fact, it's very surprising, but just the other day I got a case of syphilis, you know, who would think that there's syphilis in today's world, but you know, it, it's coming back. And, and, and that's infection, you know, so little things like that. And people never keep that at the back of their mind or even a, even a dentist would never think of someone getting syphilis, you know, in, in the US. But uh, these are things that, you know, I always tell my students that infections are very, very, as if not more important than reactive things, you know, reactive things, of course we bite ourselves or we are smoking and things like that, or, or you know, HPVs can cause infections and reactive, you know, your body's reacting to it in a certain way, and then you get another disease from that. But yes, I think infection, even more than cancer, cancer five times or six times a cell has to mutate before it becomes a cancer. So in my field, uh, what you guys do is really, really, really important. And that's what I keep telling my students, you know, keep it in mind, don't spread it out. So, yep. Okay, so now I'm an infection doctor, so you're going to have to tell me a little bit more about this syphilis case that you're talking about here. So did you biopsy it and actually see the spirochetes or, how, or just a shanker that you saw? What, how did you make the diagnosis? Students who go to um, various parts of the country, right? So I had this student who's gone to the army, military. And so she sent me this picture of a patient she'd seen. And she said, you know, Dr. Shell, I don't know what this is. And, you know, so I told her, I you know, I think I taught you about it, honey, just jog your memory a little bit. And so she came up with a differential diagnosis. And from what I saw, you know, I was quite sure that it is, it is uh, the secondary stage of syphilis. It was a mucocutaneous patch. Ah. So there was necrosis and I, 
And then I told her, I think this is syphilis, but still you can't tell the patient it's syphilis. You just get it biopsies because it's an STD. You know, you can't freak the patient out and you may get sued in the end. And of course they did the biopsy. I mean, in the biopsy, everything was, and then she, she told me that this is a case of syphilis. And she was like, how did you get to know you're a magician? I was like, uh, you forgot your, I'm normal. You are the one who forgot your, your path lesson, honey. So, yeah. <laughs> Because it's not a common thing, you know, they mostly concentrate on common things and, and, but you know, it happens. And so infection is a very big part. And if we don't catch it, you know, even that gets cured. Even that will be like curing itself after a certain part, but the tertiary syphilis, syphilis is the problem, you know? Yep. And, so, yep. and that can give you a lot more problems later in life. So, yeah. So infection is a very big part of it. And so we get a lot of things like this, deep fungal infections as ulcers in the mouth, you know, so it's very important where we go, how we go, what we catch, and how we prevent somebody else getting it. So I'm yeah. kind of interested kind of um, in this vein. Have you seen any long-term oral presentations from COVID-19 infections? You know, very, very often, I've, uh, you know, my students tell me about it and I've had literature, you know, like presenting so many things. But I don't know if it is just dipping off of your immune system, like you can see in other like um, chemotherapeutic drugs, you know, it gives you ulcers in the mouth. So I don't know if it is really related to COVID per se, or is it because of your immune system dipping? So yes, you, you can get ulcers, people get gingivitis, you know, as a result of them getting the COVID virus. But I don't know. I really don't know. So yeah. Right now, nobody's really said that, okay, this is definitely because of this. It could be an offshoot. It could be a secondary presentation. You know, it could be two things happening, happening simultaneously because your immunity is dipping down. So, you know, I really don't know if it's directly an offshoot, but there are some literatures there. And in, in our oral path world, people are still debating about it. And, you know, some people are for it and some people are against it. Yeah. Very interesting. You know, you already know that there's people losing taste and things like that, you know, who, I mean, you guys are the experts on that. So some things are a direct offshoot, but I don't know if lesions per se are, people are still debating over it and, and there are some publications too. Yeah, I wish we knew what to do about the people losing their taste and smell. That's, I mean, to me, that would be horrible. I, you know, I enjoy eating. <laughs> It was pretty awful for a few days for me. But, you know, Rick, like my brother, like Sarah got it and he couldn't breathe properly. At that point, you know, breathing becomes more important than just smelling and eating. Hey, so it's always, you know, how bad, uh, I mean, whether you are vaccinated or not. So first thing is get vaccinated. So at least you can breathe and then think of the eating and the, my brother wasn't vaccinated when he got it. He got it at the early, early times before they had come up with the vaccination and he was in the ICU and it can be pretty bad. He didn't have any oral, I mean, his taste and smell were fine, but his, his breathing was awful. So, you know, it's, it's, I would really tell everybody to get vaccinated. That's what I would say first. And I don't know how people cannot do it. Agree 100%. So I'm just fascinated by you making systemic diagnoses from a mouth. You know, uh, us uh, physicians, we think of the eye as showing, you know, you can look in the eye and you can see evidence of all kinds of systemic diseases, whether it's diabetes or hypertension. And now you're telling me you made a diagnosis of syphilis based on looking at just a patch on somebody's tongue. What other 
cool systemic things can you see? Because as a provider, I look at a mouth and I look for thrush and I look and say, yeah, your teeth look kind of bad, you know, blah, 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 blah. You don't have, you don't have pharyngitis, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, anything else? I mean, I know you're supposed to have how many teeth and blah, 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 but that's about the extent of it, you know? So, so uh, simple, I'll give you common things, okay? Ulcers in the mouth, which don't heal in two weeks time. What are the three things we think of? The first thing we think of is traumatic ulcer. Common things happen commonly. Secondly, we think of infections. We think of deep fungal infections, like, you know, histo, blasto, and then we think of TB syphilis, you know, and then of course it can be cancer, squamous cell carcinoma of the mouth. So that is giving you just infections, which can be fungal, which can be viral. Then you have things like immune-based, uh, Wegener's granulomatosis, granulomatosis with polyangiitis or sarcoidosis. So a lot and lot of diseases, or uh, even leukemia, you know, you get swelling of your gums, bleed easily you know, strawberry gingivitis. And so there are so many systemic things. And we are sometimes the first people to catch it. Multiple myeloma, punched out radiolucencies in your skull and in your jaw. Langerhans cell histiocytosis, radiolucencies punched out in your jaws. So, you know, so, and many times dentists are the people who actually catch it first. Pemphigus vulgaris, you know, one year before it goes to the rest of the body, it's going to be in your mouth. And that's a disease. If you don't treat it, people can die from it. So there are so many, so many, so many diseases which are systemic, which are autoimmune, which very, very easily can be diagnosed by a dentist. You don't even have to be an oral pathologist for that matter. You know, if you have a, a good oral path teacher and you are interested in oral pathology, well, you know, it can be done. And, and, and seriously, we all are hand in hand. I always say, you know, we need you and you guys need us and we need Sarah and we need everybody else in the team, you know every healthcare professional needs to work together. And so it's really an interesting, very interesting, um, I think speciality, or even dentistry per se is amazing. And yeah, people mostly think, think dentist is the 32 teeth, right? What <laughs> more can these guys do? Fill and drill and it's a technician, you know, kind of, a, it's, it's far more than that. And you don't have to be a specialist. You don't have to be a specialist. Absolutely. And I think, um, sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect on the whole uh, oral systemic connection. Um, you know, I, I hear people all the time, even uh, people that I know that are in medicine that are like, oh, well, it's just your mouth. You know, you have, you have this infection, it's just your mouth, it'll go away, you'll be fine. But they've actually made connections on the bacteria that live in your mouth if you have certain types of periodontal disease causing um, heart conditions and even connected to Alzheimer's disease. So, Everything's, like you said, connected. And, and it's not only yeah. infections, uh, Rick and Sarah. If you think of vitamin deficiency, red beefy tongue, you know, right there. It's just simple things like that, you know. So iron deficiency anemia, you know. So just looking at the mouth, there's so many things that you can kind of guide the patient. You know, maybe you should get these tests done. Maybe it's leukemia, get this done. You know, it's not always just infection. It's just life-threatening things that can be avoided if you catch it in the early stages. So I really think we are all pretty connected. Yeah. Go dentistry, go. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah, it's all good. I'm not, you know, you've got to be an oral pathologist, be a dentist guys, come on. 
Yeah, maybe we've got an aspiring person out there that is now going to uh, listen to this and be like, yeah, I think that sounds pretty interesting. I'll check that out. I hope so. And Rick, the best part is you guys still have to do a residency, right? An MBBS, uh, I mean, a, a MD. We don't even need a residency. We don't need anything. You can do your four years of DDS and then be ready to serve people. You know, be ready to serve people. Yep, it's hard to get through uh, medical school and uh, training and everything else before you're 30 something because it just it's long. That's for sure. Loans and late nights, you guys are like live in hospitals most of the time, you know, come five o'clock, we are on our way to the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Hey, I'm kidding. It's not that easy. It's Happy hard. hour dentistry, right? That's that 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 might sell, you know, yeah, golf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard work. I'm not saying it's that easy, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a good profession. I, I would recommend it to anybody who's willing to be a dentist. Yes. Yeah, yeah sounds was, outstanding. <laughs> when I was growing up, um, my mom is an RN and she was always, you know, like you should get into the medical profession. And, you know, I was a home health aide when I was in high school and all this stuff. And when I got into school for dental assisting, I was like, this is the best thing ever. I love teeth now. And I don't have to worry about the rest of the body. I just focus on the oral cavity. So. No, I have to tell you another thing, full disclosure. I'm not that good at convincing. I have one daughter who's a lawyer. I tried to convince her when blue in the face, trying to sell dentistry didn't work. So I don't know how good I am at convincing people in, in real life. I'm just trying trying desperately so i have my daughter's a lawyer so what can i say you know to each his own but if someone's even a little bit of interest in the in this health science and wants to be a doctor then you know they can keep this in mind yeah sounds Absolutely. awesome sounds awesome so before you came to work at creighton had you been to nebraska before no. no. So what did you think? You're, so you said you were in, I assume that University of Florida Dentistry School is probably in Gainesville, where the rest of University of Florida is. And yeah. so here you are, you come from India, you go to Florida, or wherever you were before that, and now you're coming to Nebraska. What, oh. uh, what do so you now, think? <laughs> this is a very, another very funny story. So I came to Washington, D.C., you know, a hustle bustle in banking, Citibank, and you know, right in Georgetown to going to Gainesville. I was there for three years and my mentor, Dr. Cohen, he used to work at UNMC. So he was uh, the oral pathologist at Lincoln and being a single woman at that time. And he told me, he says, and my daughter had gone with my ex-husband, you know, to stay with him while I was in my residency. And then she was old enough to be on her own. So he told me that there's a place called Omaha, Nebraska. It's very nice. Nebraskans are lovely people. And to be honest with you, I had never heard of Omaha. So I'm sitting <laughs> in the plane trying to ask people how to pronounce this O-M-A-H-A. It's Omaha. Or how do you pronounce this? And people were looking at me funny, you know, like, so I thought, okay, let's give it a try for one year, you know, and then Creighton, Jesuit school. I'm a Sikh. I'm not even, though I'd studied with Christian, you know, like Catholic, Irish Catholic nuns in India. It was like, okay, one year, you know, get my feet wet, get another job somewhere in DC and be out. And I love the Jesuit values. I love the people of Nebraska. You know, I've been alone here for the past 12 years and I wouldn't, honestly speaking, I wouldn't change it for the world. I've been offered other jobs, but I have never considered them. I've interviewed some places just to go and see a place. 
you know, considered it very briefly and then denied, I mean, then declined the job. So I think Nebraskans are amazing and Omaha is a hidden gem. And I don't tell too many people about it because people think, what the hell are you doing in Nebraska? I'm like, uh, yeah, actually, you know, don't worry about it. You'll be wherever you are. This is fine. So I don't want to pollute it, but it's a great place to be, you know. We're going to send this this video or audio to the Chamber of Commerce so that you can be a <laughs> spokesperson. I really mean it. I mean, Rick, you know, there's symphony here. There are plays here. There are concerts here. There are open fields here. We don't have any traffic jams. So I am selling dentistry and Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> Perfect. For free. We are very glad you're here, Hardeep. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. I, I honestly love being in Nebraska. Are you from Nebraska, both of you, or, or, or Omaha? if I may ask that. I'm a military brat, uh, similar to your upbringing. So I was actually born in California and lived all over the place. I, my family moved here. So my dad was stationed at Offutt when I was 12. And so I ended up doing junior high and high school here. And then I went to UNL and then UNMC for my medical school training. And then I was gone for about eight years doing my training in St. Louis and working in Kansas City for a short time. And then I came back here in 2004. And so I've been in Omaha since, uh, since then. So, I mean, I'm a Nebraskan because I don't have any place else to claim. <laughs> um, but uh, that, yeah, so I, I, I think it's a great place. I remember when I was 12, we lived in Germany at the time. And um, it was one of those deals where, I don't, and I don't know, I was young, I don't remember exactly how it works, but there's certain times in military career where people can get a little bit of a choice of where they go. Sometimes they just tell you, you're going here. And, and that's the way a lot of it was. But I think we had a little bit of say in the whole thing. And it was like North Dakota, Northern Minnesota, or Nebraska. And I was like, okay, but I just assumed everybody was going to be in overalls and there'd just be cornfields everywhere, you know, and that's what I thought before I got here. And you get here and you're like, wow, this is actually a good place. And the people are nice. The, you know, it's a good place to live. It's safe. You know, coming here in the, you know, in the early eighties, it was like, all right, this isn't bad. You know, I can do this. And here I am for most of my adult life after that. There you go. And when you land in Omaha, you really think you are landing in cornfields because there's nothing, you know, around uh, I mean, you like, what the hell happened here, you know, and but then when you start living here, you fall in love with this place. Initially, I was like, very skeptic for six months. I'm like, Oh, my God, this is so dull. There's nothing to do. People are so nice. You know, you go to Starbucks, nobody's rushing you. They talk to you, they make your drink very nicely. So I, I really think it's a lovely place. And, and that's how all of us are here. Yep. I judge a lot of places with how nice they are by how long it takes somebody to honk if you sit at a, a stoplight when it turns green before. I mean, if like if you're in some of those big cities, the second it turns green, people are on their horn. You could actually be in Omaha and people might give you like 10 seconds before they'd even do a little a little beep on their horn just to, to alert you to go. I totally agree with you. And people are just nice in general. You're sitting in a restaurant, someone sitting next to you. And if you're alone, they just strike a conversation, which is so Lovely. I've made so many friends just talking to people in restaurants, you know. So it is a great place. I mean, I, I have I have no regrets at how my life life's turned out to be. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah, time for your story. My story. So I am not a Nebraskan. I am an Iowan. So I actually grew up about two hours east of Omaha, but I am a Midwesterner. Um, I grew up on a farm that was like 15 miles outside of the nearest small town. So 
we had to gravel travel to get home. Um, we had all kinds of critters, horses, cows, pigs, chickens, the whole nine yards. And um, I moved over here for a job opportunity in a dental lab, actually. And I ended up just loving the area and staying and have job hopped a little bit between now and then, but I'm really happy with where I am and what's going on in my life. So, yeah. We are happy for you, Sarah. I'm glad I got to know you. Yeah, absolutely. And you too, Rick, now. <laughs> Yeah, great. Now when I get crazy mouth lesions, I'll, I'll, I'll know where to send them. Anytime. Yep, absolutely. You're more than welcome. Do you see them a lot or no? Um, sometimes we do. I mean, I've uh, certainly seen people that have had, uh, you mentioned histoplasmosis. So that's something that uh, certainly have seen in somebody's oral pharynx before. Um, you know, a lot of what we see is like thrush or aphthous ulcers or um, uh, things along those lines. I'm trying to think of the uh, another crazy thing, but probably the best diagnosis we had was was disseminated histoplasmosis in somebody's mouth. Um, Even mucomycosis, it's all here, rhino, cerebral. Oh yeah, yeah. Mucomycosis, we don't yeah. that those are horrible. I I, I don't want to see any of those ever again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So those things, like, or have you seen any any um, sarcoidosis or Wegener's? No. Yeah, definitely. Definitely have seen both of those throughout uh, my career. Uh, not so much lately, um, but yeah, a, a fair amount that I'd seen. One of the, uh, you mentioned, uh, had a patient that had a, a sphenoid sinus infection with actually sketosporium, so another fungus, and actually had yep. eroded in. And, and on ENT scope, we could actually see his carotid sheath. Isn't wow. that crazy? I mean, that's, that's just really like, crazy. wow. Yep. And, the, and the guy's still doing okay. I mean, we treated him for a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I hope nothing bad happens to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like yesterday, we had a patient of neurofibromatosis. And, I, you know, so, so then we have to go across and, you know, go to a neuroradiologist or something and then talk to them about things. So it's, it's just a crazy field. It's all so connected. It's not even, it's just crazy. Yeah. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen in your time as an oral pathologist? Uh, the craziest thing, um, a lot of oral cancers. I mean, people just oh. wait and wait and wait, you know, like salivary gland neoplasms. They don't really ulcerate fast. And then they're just growing and growing and growing. And some people are like living in these villages around. And it's very sad that they keep waiting. You know, they don't have the money. They don't have the resources. And by the time you they come to us, I mean, the face is kind of so distorted. And that's when I send them to, you know, cancer specialist and then half the face is gone. They don't die from it. The quality of life really goes down. And that's what I tell my students, you know, like oral cancers don't really kill you, but they take away half your face and that's no way to live. You know, we live in a very aesthetic oriented world. And if someone doesn't have the right aesthetics, somehow we, we just relegate those people to the back of the line. And that's what happens in most cases. To me, that's sad. Yeah. It's very sad. I remember when I was working at the dental lab here in town, we did a lot of lab cases for the prosthodontist at uh, UNMC. And, um, you know, just some of the crazy appliances for people that had been in those situations that you know, not even 
for aesthetics, but just for function. So they could breathe and eat again. Yeah. And we have a great, uh, great person over here, a, a prosthodontist who does facial appliances, you know, Dr. Kelly, and he did it from Mayo and the cases he shows us, it's like really amazing, you know, like how bad it can be at the end of the day. So it's pretty bad. And then I was, I was seeing a documentary about Val Kilmer who was in Top Gun. He got a cancer of the throat. And I mean, now you look at him because of all the medicines he's taken, he's, he doesn't look like the same person at all. I mean, if you look at him in Top Gun and look at him today, it's a Netflix documentary. It's just heartbreaking, you know? It's just heartbreaking. He can't even speak. His son has to speak for him. So that's what I tell my students, you know, you just have got to look out for cancers and for infections in the mouth because they can ruin your quality of life. Yeah. So on a little bit of a lighter note, are you reading or binge watching anything right now? Uh, I read a lot of books. I'm reading a book called The Nightingale right now. And I don't really watch TV. So it's either music or I'm reading a lot of books. So I'm a very voracious reader. And I, uh, my passion actually, let's track back, is eating out. I can't cook to save my life. <laughs> so I, I know every restaurant almost in Omaha, Nebraska. So you ask me about food, I'll tell you I'm a foodie. And then the second thing is I love to read. And then the third thing is music. I don't watch TV at all. Yeah. Can I ask you guys about it if we are on a three-week thing? What about what are you reading, Sarah? Uh, right now, I am reading American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So far, it's good. Mm-hmm. You, Rick? Yeah, I tend to read, I, I like uh, fantasy novels and things like that. So I'm reading something called The Wheel of Time, which is a, it's actually coming out as a TV show, which you obviously won't watch, which is okay. It's about 14 books. And so I've been reading it for, uh, you know, in between having to read medical stuff and everything else. So it t it's taking a while, but, uh, but uh, you know, I, I, when I read, I like to just not be, too much reality just just like just get me away from reality talking about that i'm the opposite i love anything to do with world war ii i may be a soldier or somebody in that 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 part of my life i don't know if she believes in ghosts i believe you must be believing in reincarnation right <laughs> absolutely i love anything related to world war ii that's my passion is another passion i have any documentary that's what i'll watch yeah, that's what I would watch too. I love documentaries, movies, exactly. anything having to do with that. I, that I, I watch those over and over and over again. Those are great. I mean, Schindler's List is one of my favorite books. I don't know. It's so depressing, but so motivating at the same time. You know, it's such a mixed bag. And I must have read that book at least 10 times, you know, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, on a completely different note, I mean, one of the benefits of being a military kid and living in Germany is I actually went to Dachau. So, I mean, that just watching that movie, it's uh, it is it's uh, it's very grim and just horrible, but it's it's so well uh, done and, and, and people need to remember history. And what not to do in life, you know, yep. more than anything else, people run away from I think we just learn what not to do. You know, we are always told what to do. But reading this and seeing this will tell you what not to do in life. So it's, it's just amazing, you know, especially me being an immigrant and coming to this country and being so well received, you know, so well received. So 
that's fascinating too. So, I mean, anything else to the rural path? We're going off the track here. <laughs> no that's worries. kind of what we do that's kind of our mo we don't we yeah, don't really have a track of... it's just kind of wherever things take us um i do have one more question <laughs> um i was curious if you had any advice for anybody out there that is uh, trying to figure out what their job path might be you know my first advice is that if they want to get into the medical field or health sciences start doing well in your classes when you're in school, middle school, high school. My first advice to anybody is, you know, don't leave it for the last minute. First, figure out what you want to do in life. Start doing well in your courses and then shadow people. You know, uh, go to a dentist's office, go to a medical person's office, go to a dental assistant, you know, uh, shadowing, go to a dental hygienist shadowing. I really think if I would tell anybody, any young person who's in school, is get yourself in shape where your grades are concerned because without proper grades, no matter what intentions you have, they don't work. So hard work always pays. Figure your passion out. Like my daughter, I tried to make her a nurse. I tried to make her a dentist. I tried to motivate her to be a doctor. Nothing worked. Since sixth grade, she knew she wanted to be a lawyer. And so that's her passion, you know? And I told her, you can be anything. You can be a janitor, you know? But first figure out what you want to be and be good in your studies. At least baseline is so important for every person who's in school. I'm not saying everybody has to go to college. You can go to a technical school or whatever, but, but at least know your basics. And those are very important. Education shapes a person, you know? So that's my first advice to everybody. Do well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, personal excellence is my motto in life. Have personal excellence. And very friends, yeah. And friends have good friends, you know. And I read a quote just the other day, I think it was by Warren Buffett. And he said, you know, you always have to be in good company if you want to be good, because those are the people you'll start looking and trying to model. You know, you have to be in the right company. Now, that's what I feel, you know. I, I may be wrong, but for me, personal excellence has always been my motto in life. And I've Very worked at Starbucks, I've worked at a liquor store, I've worked in a deli, I've, I've bartended when my ex was going to school. So whatever you do, do it with passion, do it with, that's my two bit in life. Great advice, thank you. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Hardeep, for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Having me, both of you, and so good to get to know Rick and, and Sarah, I hope I'll see you again in person soon. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Hardeep. It was great to get to know you and learn about uh, what you do and why you do it and your passion for it. That's certainly been very, very enlightening. So thank you very much. Thank you. Take care, both of you. Yes. Bye. And thank you to all of our listeners out there for listening to another episode of Dirty Drinks. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Dirty Drinks. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends if they enjoy dirty drinks.